We have, uh, since before Easter, uh, several weeks before Easter, we've been going through this series, War with the Flesh. And it, it started off in Romans chapter 7, where Paul is talking about, he realizes that there's this law, this war with inside of him going on between his spirit and his flesh. And we've kind of taken, we started there in 7, and, and we understood what Paul was talking about. We took a break to kind of, you know, put flesh and bone, understanding what those are. Um, you know, and to be quite honest with you, the, the thoughts of battling with our flesh, um, the, the victories and defeats, um, and what we're up against, why we do that, and how, you know, controlling different parts of our body and our appetites and our passions and, and our mind and all those things, you know, it becomes a very daunting task sometimes when we think about that. When, what God's called us to be, what we want to be, uh, so that we can represent Him well, so we can bring glory to His name. Um, you know, it, it, we talk about these things, and, and I really think they're talked very little about in, in a lot of churches today. One of the reasons I wanted to do that is because I've looked around and seen within the church and within the world this idea of changing, of battling these things, of controlling yourselves has really kind of gone out the wind in a lot of cases that, you know, God, Jesus just loves you like you are, so just be who you are and don't worry about, you know, having some victories over things we're supposed to have victory over. And so I kind of wanted to take a time to, to look at those. Um, when we lose some of those battles it becomes demoralizing to us and and even depressing when we realize we're constantly in this battle of our flesh we can understand what paul said when he's like in romans chapter 7 he says woe it's me wretched man that i am we i think we understand i know i understand that i think those of us who take it seriously what it means to represent god and want to bring glory to his name and we want to please god and and we want to show god we love him I think we understand where Paul's at, you know, the, the things we want to do, we don't do, and the things we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing, you know, and it's just, you know, you're disappointed in yourself, you're you're kind of demoralized, why do I keep doing this, why do I have these struggles, um, and so, you know, we understand that, and uh, that's why I, I put this up last week, I, I forgot, I mentioned this last week. And, and I wanted to show it to you this week, you know, that idea about who we are in Christ, that the idea that the identity of who we are in Christ as a disciple is one of the most difficult realities for us as a disciple to embrace. I was talking to the, some of the people I was in that Bible study with, I told you about, you know, when I tried to get them to say, you are a saint, you are holy, you are righteous because of what Christ did for you, because he paid the penalty for all those sins. Because he gave us his blood, because he's washed us white as snow, we are those things. But the problem is that the reason this, this reality of who we are in Christ is so difficult to embrace is because we know our defeats more than we know our victories. We remember the things that we do. You know, although we, we can say we're a saint, you know that quite often you don't think saintly and more than you want to, you don't act saintly. You know that you are, you have the righteousness of God, but you live less than that. And it, and it becomes that problem, this battle with the flesh that we see. And so embracing that reality is very difficult. Later in the book of Romans, the 15th chapter, Paul, as he's closing this book out, um, he's been talking to the, the church there in Rome. He says this, it's, it's, he says it kind of in the form of a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 
When we read chapter 7, there's not a lot of hope in chapter 7. You know, there's that demoralizing, that, that, defeat with vic, uh, that defeat with the flesh. But last week we saw how there's this dramatic change that takes place here in the middle of the book, in, in, in chapter 8, that this, the presence of the Holy Spirit gets introduced into the equation. That, you know, 22 different times Paul refers to the, the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the mindsets that the Holy Spirit brings on in our lives when it comes to these battles with our flesh. You know, that I can, I must, and I am. You know, that, that I can overcome and have victory in my, against my flesh. I, I must for God's glory, for His name's sake. And who we are, that identity that we have a hard time embracing of who we are in Christ. Well, chapter 8, that's where we're going to be at today. You can, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, it continues with this theme of the Holy Spirit and how that affects our living and our lives uh, against the battles of the flesh, but also in a, in a greater sense. And, and here is, uh, so when Paul says this in 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This prayer that Paul prays for the Romans in chapter 15 is founded. The foundation of this prayer is in Romans chapter 8 and the, and the second part of 8. When Paul starts to talk about the Holy Spirit and how hope comes with him. And so here's here's the idea that I want us to understand. This is what we're going to work from. This is the second half, starting with verse 18 through 39 of Romans chapter 8. It's this one idea, that the presence of the Holy Spirit brings hope. And, and, and I wanted to conclude this series of battling with our flesh, where we, if we've been honest with ourselves and we've looked at the battles we face, whatever that battle may be, we, we looked at our appetites, we looked at these yearnings from our heart, we, we've looked at what it means to fight, and, and, and we've embraced and understand what Paul says when he says, woe is me, and we can identify with that. I wanted to end this with the idea that although we're in these battles, and also sometimes we win and sometimes we lose, there's always hope. There's always hope. Because Paul goes from the end of Romans chapter 7 saying, woe is me, to the end of chapter 8, saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? He, he does a dramatic shift from the way chapter eight, 7 closes to the way chapter 8 closes. And it's all because of the introduction of the Holy Spirit. It, it changes how he views the world. It changes his mindset. And then it gives him hope. And that's what I want us to look at today, is, is five hope-filled realities caused by the presence of the holy spirit we're going to work through these kind of verse section by section as we work through romans chapter 8 but but five realities five real things that go on that cause hope because the holy spirit is present in our lives so the first section verses 18 through 25 if you'll read with me there for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he's going back. We're suffering. We're struggling in this time. But it's nothing. Verse 19. For, for the anxious longings of creation wait eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. And to the freedom of of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit. So we, we have the spirit with us and we ourselves groan within our bodies for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for those who hope for what they already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And so you see Paul talking about the the presence of the Holy Spirit coming and with the presence of the Holy Spirit comes hope. In this section, he kind of talks about two different types of hope. One is what I call the hope for now. And, and, And there's a lot of hope in realizing this fact. You're not alone. The the hope we need today in this world in which we live in is to understand you're not alone. It amazes me. You know, I've dealt with people over the years and the way they've treated cancer and treated cancer patients has changed over the years. When When they first started treating it, they took the patient off into one little isolated room. They, you know, put them behind the curtain, keep them from being exposed to too many germs, and they would treat them there in isolation. Over the past years, if you've ever been to a cancer treatment center, you realize it's completely different now. It's an open room. Everybody's sitting together in chairs together. They can see each other. They get to know each other. And I believe what they realized is it brings hope to people with the most dire diseases to know one thing. You're not alone. There's other people going through that. You can see them. You, they, they, they see each other. They, they look at each other. And most of the time, what each other does is say, you know, I'm bad, but it could be worse. They, they see, it gives them perspective. They, they see that they're not alone in their situation. And no matter how bad their situation is, there's at least somebody else who understands that. That's part of my reason believing that when people end up in hell, they will be completely isolated, cut off from all other contact with all other people. That there's not going to be this great party going on in hell because, you know, if nothing else, they won't be able to say, well, at least we're not alone. Because I think right there, because there is hope in that statement. And I believe hell is a place with no hope whatsoever. And so therefore we will have no contact with anyone else. And that there's this great hope of knowing that you're not alone. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit is the fulfilling of God's promise in Matthew 28. Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. So no matter what situation is, no matter how isolated you feel, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much you think you're the only person who struggles with whatever it is you struggle with in the battle against your flesh, you are not alone. God is with you. And that gives us hope for today. But this fact is a little bit different too. There's a little, a little secret I'm going to let you in too. Yes, God's with you. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit with you. Yes, you're not alone. And, and there's nothing more we could want than the Holy Spirit, but you're also not alone because other people understand too. We have one another. Now, I know that you guys come in this place every week and you think everyone else sitting in here is perfect besides you, Right? I know you all think Randy's got it all together and you were shocked. You were amazed. You couldn't comprehend that he might commit one and a half sins. How do you commit half a sin a day? That's like digging half a hole. How do you dig half a hole? 
I mean, once you dig it, it's a hole. It's a whole hole. I know you found that amazing to think that might happen in his life, that he's got it all together, that he's, you know, righteous and you're not. And, and whatever that struggle you have with your flesh, Randy would have no idea what it is. Well, I'm going to break his bubble. He might know. And so might everybody else in this place. Now, we spend a lot of time coming to churches, putting on little happy faces and we greet each other. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Have a good day. You too. God bless you. And the reality of our lives is far less than that. And I want to encourage you. You don't have to tell that to everybody. You don't have to get up here and share it in front of everybody. But find another Christian in your life who you can share some of your struggles with. Who you can say, this is my battlefield in the flesh. You know, I lose my temper too quick. I run off at the mouth too quick. I got this appetite that I just can't seem to suppress. This yearning of my heart, this passion, this that my mindset is wrong. Whatever it is in those battlefields that you find someone else because you're going to find someone who says, I understand. You're not alone. My battle may be different. My battle might be the same, but you're not alone in this battle. And find those people you can open up with and share those those things. Someone who will pray with you. Somebody will hold you accountable. Someone that will just encourage you. So you see them in here every Sunday. You come in here to get your treatment. And you can look around and say, look, they're so-and-so getting their treatment too. And I'm not alone. This cancer of sin that I find myself battling against, I'm not alone. I have the Spirit and I have others who are in the same boat with me. That brings hope. But there's also hope for later. That's hope for to now. In this passage, it goes on. You know, it says that that all of creation is suffering with us. That, that it's not just other people that suffering. The world is suffering. The world has got floods and torments and hurricanes. And, and the whole place is, is crying out for salvation. And it all looks forward to a day when it won't always be like this. That this creation is passing away and a new creation is coming. And no matter how bad it is and what our struggles are and what goes on in the world and the craziness of the creation that causes us all to cry out. What are we crying out for? The revelation of God's children. For God to come back and say, here are my sheep, here are the goats, let's make this thing right all over again. And that the life we live is not the life eternal. And that there is hope for a bright, bright future. And no matter how good this life is, the next life is going to be even better. And so the, the Holy Spirit is this down payment. This, this reminder that you're not alone now, but we're on a trip somewhere. There's a future for tomorrow. And it won't always be like it is now. And that's a great, great hope. Verses 26 and 27. So in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now what was it I asked you last week? You are what? Saints. You want to be a saint? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. And so there's this hope, the hope of help. 
That whatever situation you're in, whatever whatever's going on in your life, that battle you're fighting, that situation you find you're in, there is help. Not only are you alone, but it's not someone sitting by just watching you. It's a helper. In John chapter 16, verse 7, we are confirmed that there is a helper for this life. There is a helper for these battles and these battlefields. There is someone to give us aid. Imagine this. In John 16, put yourself in the disciples' shoes when he says, says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Okay, so this is the truth from Jesus. And if I was a red letter guy, I'd put these letters in red because Jesus said this himself. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. The helper has come. Jesus sent him. And Jesus says, this is to your advantage. Imagine it like this, like a scale. You're the disciples, right? Jesus is sitting there and saying, I'm going away. <laughs> Which, if you'd been walking with him for three years, living with him three years, it's got to be like devastating. Like, you're, what? No way. Uh-uh. And Jesus is saying, it's to your advantage. It's to your good for me to do this because the helper is going to come in my place. Now, we would balance it out like this. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we might could get to this place where they're equal. You know, we believe in the Trinity. They're both saying the same essence, same God. So we could balance them out. But what Jesus is saying is that having the Spirit is better than having Him. He said, this is to your advantage. He tips the scale in the presence of the Holy Spirit that you have this helper who helps you. And some of the things that the the, the Holy Spirit does to help us, number one, he gives us power. Remember in Acts 1, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. These battles that we want to win, we can win. Why? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. The things we want to accomplish for the Lord, we can do because we have the power of God. That when God asks us to do something, He's giving us our, His Spirit so that we have the power to accomplish it. We, all, <clears throat> we also have gifts of the Holy Spirit. That He gifts us to do things. That we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit that when we're getting off track, He's there to bring us back in line and make sure our relationship with God is good. The Spirit here, what He says, He intercedes for us. That the Spirit is in heaven praying for you right now. For things you don't even know you need to be at prayer for. You think it's this. And the Spirit goes, they don't need that. That's not what they really need. Let me... Give a real prayer on their behalf for the saints. He guides us. All this is help for us in life. And whatever it is, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can know there is help. All we got to do is turn and say, help. Verses 28 through 30. We're going to talk about the hope of a plan slash planner. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, for those who would be the firstborn among many brethren, and then and these whom he predestined he also called, and these who he called he justified, and those he justified he also glorified. This 
first verse in 28 is often quoted by people, especially in the most dire situations. And it's a good place to, to quote this. We know that God causes all things to work for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. There is hope in the fact that the things that happen in our life are not random acts of whatever. That there's a plan, and if there's a plan, there's a planner behind that plan. And that no matter what it's like, something has a purpose. And that's a great hope, especially when you're undergoing something bad. Jeremiah, this is another verse. But For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you what? A future and a hope to understand god's got a plan and he's the planner and and what goes on he's doing this for your good although sometimes you may not see it i think it might be good to sometimes expect that that god's kind of like a a personal trainer all right now for the guy doing the push-ups life is not really good right now right and his trainer's there but the trainer has the plan He knows what needs to be done. He's pushing the person to to grow his strength, to grow his his muscles. And and so he's pushing him. He's yelling at him. He's encouraging him. He's doing whatever it takes to get him to be stronger, to reach the goal that the trainee has. Well, we have a goal, spiritual goals. Sometimes our faith needs to be strengthened. And, And God is this kind of personal trainer. He's got a goal for us. He's got a plan for us. He wants to see us reach our potential. And sometimes he's got to push us and encourage us and, and make us lift a little bit more. And, you know, God, you can do one more. No, I can't do any more. Oh, you can do one more. Push it out one more. And he's got the plan and the planner. And there's hope with that. My dad was just telling me this morning, he just had major back, major back surgery, like pins and rods and screws and the whole thing from top to bottom and the back. So he started PT yesterday, and so they're trying to strengthen his core because his core looks a lot like my core. And so they want to get him strong in his core. And so he's like laying down on his back doing these stomach muscles. And, and the trainer was like telling him to, you know, be flat in his stomach and do this crunch or whatever it was. And he's like, every time I do it, she'd smack me on the gut and say, ah, I said flat. And he goes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but he took that because he said, then she told me, I think within six weeks I can have you out of here and you'll be able to good, good to go on your own. So he's willing to endure her smacking him on the stomach saying one more, one more, because he knows she's got a plan that's going to be for his ultimate good. There's hope. He's like, he was telling me, he's like, I think I'm going to be done in six weeks. There's hope. I'm going to be able to walk again. I'm going to be able to go hunting again. I'm going to be able to to live life not in the major pain. There's hope because he knows there's been a plan in place and he's endured the greatest pain of his life. So this is the most pain he's ever endured, ever, because he's got a plan for a future. When there's a plan and a planner out there, there is hope. And the things going on in our lives and the battles we fight is often for our good that God's got some greater plan and we've just got to hold on to the plan and the planner. The hope of a hero. Verses 31 through 39. 
So think about as we draw to the close of chapter eight here, where where Paul was all where Paul finished up chapter seven. Woe is me, wretched man that I am. That's how chapter seven ended. Look what the change that takes place in Paul's mind as he starts to think about the Holy Spirit. Verse thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? That's a far cry from woe is me, wretched man that I am. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over to for us. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, will distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of the sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long? We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's a far cry from woe is me, wretched man that I am. The presence of the Holy Spirit has brought hope into Paul's life. He realized who's in charge. He realized it's God. He realizes he has a hero, Jesus. Jesus is the one who judges. Jesus is the one who doesn't condemn. Jesus is the one who paid the penalty for my sins. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He closes chapter 7 saying, Wretched man as I am, who will set me free from this body of sin? And he ends at 8 with, Nothing will separate me from God, though. Because of who Jesus is. Because of this hero I have. Jesus, it's through him that we are saints. It's through him that we have hope. It is because of what Jesus did. Jesus is the hero. And when he starts focusing on his hero, the whole world changes. There's two little things I'd like for you to understand about having a hero in this story. One, the hero assures victory. It's Jesus who is the victor. We have victory through Jesus, because of Jesus. You may remember this from one of our early sermons. Early on, showed you this picture of this guy leading his army off to battle, right? And they're all following. Well, you remember who the guy in the front is, right? Captain America. And all the soldiers know they got nothing to worry about because there's a hero with them. Captain America, he's going to take care of it. If you watch any Captain America's movies, you know he pretty much takes care of it. He pretty much wipes everybody else out and all the other soldiers are kind of stay behind him. That's Jesus. He's our hero. With him leading the army, victory is assured. And all we got to do is pretty much stay behind Jesus. He's going to win. He's going to take care of it. He's the hero. He assures us of victory. And the other assurance he gives us is security. When the hero's there, you know it's secure. I ain't got to worry. Captain America's here. He's my security. He, the Jesus is here. And my security is in him. 
I don't have to rely on it this way. And, and here's the image I'll, I'll plant in your head with that. Jesus is the lifeguard. Imagine if you were drowning and the lifeguard swims out to you and he goes, hey, hold on to me. Now, the first thing I would do is I grab a hold and hold on for all I was worth. But what if your saving from drowning depended on your ability to hang on to the lifeguard? And you couldn't, you were tired, you'd been swimming, you'd been struggling for your life, you hadn't breathed really in a while, you know, and you're like, I'm getting weak. And then the lifeguard says, well, if you let go, you let go, you're dead. Sorry. No, the hero, the lifeguard, it's his power. He grabs you. He holds on to you. He swims you there. Now you might hold on for all your worth, but you know your security lies in the strength of the lifeguard. So if you pass out, he's going to hold on. If you're struggle, he's going to hold on. If you can't swim very good, he's going to hold on and get you to the shore. That's why when a lifeguard says someone, he's the hero of the story. Because they know it was his power, his ability to swim into whatever it was, grab you and get you out of something you didn't have power to get out of in the first place. If you had the power to do it, you'd have saved yourself in the first place. And you didn't. You needed a hero. And so we rest secure in the power of the hero. He assures that. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not power, not death, not angels, not principalities. Nothing in the created order. Because he's strong enough to hold you. Even when you're not strong enough to hold on to him. And that's great hope. A couple of quick points of application. If you have the printed out sermon notes let me ask you just a couple quick questions where do you need hope right now is it is it in a battle is it one of the battlefields we've talked about your mind your appetites your yearnings your passions your mouth your anger some other place that you're battling with maybe it's some other event in your life something else you didn't see coming something else you didn't know about where do you need hope right now which of these realities do you need to concentrate on then? The hope that you're not alone. The hope that it's not going to always be this way. The hope that there's a hero. The hope that there's help for you no matter what. Or the hope that this is, you can just trust that there's a plan and a planner. And maybe you're just going through a training stage. Whatever you can identify as the source of bringing you hope, with the reality that the, the Spirit is in your life, and with the Spirit, with the presence of the Spirit, comes hope. I encourage you to study on the verses we've talked about today. Meditate on those verses. Meditate on those realities that Jesus is my hero. He's going before me. He's going to assure the victory. Maybe you need assurance of your salvation and because you've lost some battles with the flesh and you need to remember Jesus is strong enough to hold you when you're not strong enough to hold on to him. That, that he will, will hold you tight and you can trust your hero. Maybe you're having a difficult time. Maybe you're demoralized or depressed because you, you fought certain battles and, and maybe you've lost. Remember that whatever you're going through, there's a plan and there's a planner. And that God can use that for something you didn't anticipate. That, that he's got a, a way of bringing about good into your life that you didn't expect. As Scott comes here to, to kind of close us off today, uh, to bring an end to this thing. It is true, we are in a battle. We're in a battle with our flesh. We're in battle with our sinful nature. We're in battle to, to bring glory to God. It, it's a fight. 
And we need to fight the good fight. We need to to do this so that we bring glory to God's name among the Gentiles. That's the reason we fight these battles. But don't be overcome by the battle. Know that whatever situation, whatever battle it is you fight, there is hope for you. That the Spirit changes everything. And spend your time thinking about how Paul changed. That it's okay to have that moment where you say, woe is me. But then you remind yourself, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if God is for us, who can be against us?